I'm, I'm Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. It's really good to see all of you. Hope you're having a very merry Christmas season. Uh, this is also the first day of winter. Uh, so now that winter has officially begun, watch out. It might start getting cold. Uh, I, I have a word of knowledge about this, all right? I'm, I'm predicting cold. So, and there are extra righteousness points awarded for anyone who comes out to church when it's below zero. So just feel good about yourself. All right. Here's some in the back. Our Christmas Eve services will be held at 3 and 5 o'clock this year. Uh, All services will be approximately one hour long. Uh, There's no child care, but just bring your kids because Christmas is all about kids. We'll be singing some uh, traditional Christmas songs and doing some reflections uh, around the Christmas story. I want to talk about Messy Mary. Mary's Messy Yes. And this was the message I was going to to talk on last week until I felt like the Lord preempted that message and led me in a very different direction. And I'm very glad I went in that direction. It seemed to really land just based on some of the feedback that I got. But I want to hear reflect on, on Mary. We're dealing with Christmas themes here. Uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you'll know that Mary is, is one of my favorite people in the Bible. I, I just love this young woman. Um, when I was a kid, I raised in a rather strict Catholic environment, went to Catholic school. And I was a hyperactive kid, and, and all, all, I was always in trouble, and I really was convinced that I have no way of going to heaven if it's left up, up to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all seem so austere and holy. But Mary, if I had a shot of getting into heaven, it was through Mary. I said more Hail Marys as a kid. I met my lifelong quota by the age of six. Uh, and, and we had a statue of Mary at the center of the cathedral that I had to go to every morning. Uh, we had Mass every morning in Latin. And um, I would just look on her, and there's something so peaceful and loving and compassionate about her. I thought, there's my ticket. So Mary's always, my, my theology was a little screwed up back then, but, but Mary's always been dear to my heart. So I love talking about Mary. We're, we're, we're going to look at the, the uh, Annunciation story. And this is the story where Gabriel comes to Mary and announces what God's plan for her is. It's the Annunciation. And it starts uh, in the book of Luke, my favorite gospel, of course, chapter 1. And we're starting in verse 26. And I still have my thermos, even though twice this morning people have found it and brought it to me. So (laughs) it's a community effort here, folks. (laughs) Save Greg's thermos. All right. In this uh, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Luke's already talked about that, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a small town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Mary was pledged to Joseph. Now you need to know in the first century that uh, that engagement was much more serious than the way we take engagement. If you were pledged to somebody, um, you could only get out of that by divorcing them. So it was a virtual marriage. But it wasn't yet, they didn't consummate the marriage until usually one or two years after the pledge was made. And the man would go away and, and, and build a house and, and, and make sure that he had things in place to start raising a family. But to be betrothed to somebody, pledged to somebody, was to be virtually married, though not yet legally married. All right? uh, usually girls in the, Jewish girls in the first century were pledged between the ages of 12 and 14. Uh, and so Mary was in all probability, the average would have been about 13 years old. We're talking about a young teenage girl here. It's, it's quite amazing. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Remember that phrase. 
The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I'm a little Jewish peasant girl. What is the famous angel Gabriel doing showing up at my doorstep? But the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. There's that phrase again. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I I strongly suspect that Mary's hair is being blown back right now. And I strongly suspect that after the words, you will conceive, she didn't hear a thing. Because she asked the question, can we, you know, can we go back to that conception part? I didn't quite get that. She goes, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Literally in the Greek, she says, I have not ever known a man. I've never had relations with a man in that way. She knows her biology. The angel answered, no problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That phrase overshadows simply comes out of the Old Testament. It denotes when the glory of God comes down and, and hovers over a person or over a place. So the angel is really just saying that the glory of God is going to surround you and uh, you're, you'll supernaturally conceive of this child. And then the angel reassures Mary this way. He says, even Elizabeth, your older cousin, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So the angel is saying, look at Mary, I know this is hard to accept, but you know what? Your older cousin, Elizabeth, who was way past childbearing years, uh, is already uh, pregnant. And this is a confirmation to you that this is going to happen. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Actually, the word servant there is doulos. And it'd be more accurate to interpret it slave, not servant. A servant could be hired, but would still have some of their own rights. But what Mary is saying is, I am owned by, by God. I, I, am, I surrender all my rights. I am your slave. May it be to me according to your word. However this is going to work out, whatever, since I belong to you, let it be however you want it to be. And then the angel left her. Mary's messy, yes. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I pray you would open up our ears, not just the ears of those who are in this auditorium, but those who are listening through podcasts or other means around the world. God, and I pray that this would be a word of encouragement and a word of challenge. And I pray, God, that you would form in our hearts Mary's heart and form in our disposition Mary's disposition. Help us, Lord God, to see her as a model that we aspire to be like. This young Jewish teenage girl, a hero of our faith. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Two points I want to make here this morning. The first one simply is the incredible fact that God chose Mary. Of all the people in the world he could have chosen, he chose Mary. What does that say? Recall, be mindful of the fact, the truth that 
What's going to happen here is the greatest event, by far and away, the greatest event in all of history. The parting of the Red Sea is nothing compared to this. Uh, what's going to happen here is, is the center of all of God's plan for humanity. God has dreamed up this dream from before the foundation of the world, that God would become a human being. I, I, I'm convinced that Jesus died on the cross as a rescue mission uh, in light of our sin. But I'm also convinced, though I can't get into all the reasons why now, but they're biblical, that God had always planned on, be, on becoming a human being. I'm convinced of this. That was uh, a, a part of the plan before the foundation of the world. God was going to court humanity for a period of time, and when things were right, he was going to marry us. And that marriage would be him becoming a human being so that we might become eternal, eternal dance partners in the life of the triune God. That was always God's plan. That's why Paul refers to the marriage relationship between a man and a woman as an analogy of God's relationship to his people. That was always part of God's plan. So this is the center of everything. This is the the purpose for all of creation. God would become a human in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's who Jesus is. That's why we call him Emmanuel. The Bible calls him Emmanuel. He is God with us. We sang about that a little bit earlier. He's God with us. I know there's a lot of people today who say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a really wise man. He was an inspired guru. He was an ascended ma- master. Some would even say he was, he was an archangel. And they think they're giving Jesus compliments in saying that. And Jesus was certainly a wise teacher and a uh, s- smart guy. But you're not complimenting him if that's where you stop. Because he's so, so, so much more than that. And to stop short of saying the fullness of who he is is really to insult him. Jesus is Emmanuel, God incarnate, God with us. Throughout his ministry, he puts himself in the position of Yahweh. Uh, That's why they accused him of blasphemy and and why he ultimately got crucified. His disciples call him Lord. Uh, Kudios, the, the Greek translation of Yahweh in the Old Testament. They call him God. Matthew says, or uh, Thomas says to him when Jesus appears, my Lord and my God, John 20, 28. Uh, They ascribe to him all the divine attributes and all the divine activities. He's the creator of the world, the judge of the world, and and the Alpha and the Omega, and on and on and on. And they worship him as God, and they pray to him as God. Jesus is more than just a mere human being, however great a human being he actually was. He's, He's not only a human being, he is fully God, robed in human flesh. The gospel message, and it's the Christmas message, is that God, out of his infinite love, became a human being. He loved us that much. The, the all-powerful God made himself a little vulnerable baby. Uh, the infinite God made himself finite. Uh, the, the, the creator became the created. That is the gospel message. That is the Christmas message. And it is the center of everything. It's the reason why we exist. It's the purpose for existence. It's the center of history. It's the ultimate revelation of who God is. It's the ultimate revelation of what, how, how, what God thinks about you. It's the ultimate revelation of where God's driving things in the historical process. It's the center of everything. It's, it's absolutely impossible to overemphasize, however many superlatives I might give, it's impossible to overemphasize how important this fact is. And this is what Christmas is about. I always say to people, if Christmas, see, if this is true, if what I just said is true, it's the more, most, by far and away, by far and away, the most important truth you could ever know. And if it is true, then the last thing that we should be are people who think about this deeply once a year. 
And that's why I always say every Christmas, if Christmas is something that you think deeply about once a year, then you're really missing the point of Christmas. Because if God became a human being and and died on a cross for us, that we might eternally live in relationship with him and dance with him throughout eternity, well, that's got to be a truth that characterizes, that's reflected in our life 24-7 every day of the year. Our whole life should be committed to living under the shadow of and under the impact of the marvelous, stupendous, mind-boggling truth that God became a human person in in, in Jesus Christ. If you get what it's about, it's not something you think about once a year. It's something that every day of our lives is spent uh, living in the light of, under the impact of, and seeking to live out his will on earth as it is in heaven. This is the greatest event of history. It's the meaning of everything. It's the reason why we exist. And it must be the center of our lives. So God himself is making his entrance into the world. Son of God just refers to God in human flesh. He's making his entrance into the world here. It's the greatest event imaginable. But wouldn't you think... If this is you know, God's grand entrance into the world, I don't know, wouldn't you think there'd be a little fanfare or something? Like some bells and whistles, uh, some confetti, uh, you know, some trumpets, uh, some brouhaha, you know, some ooh and ah factor. I mean, wouldn't God like write it across the sky and, and blow the angelic trumpets and make a big display? I'm coming into the world. That's what earthly kings do. I mean, there's always a lot of fanfare when the king comes in the town or when the, the new king is being inaugurated. Uh, you know, despite the economic crisis, they're spending millions of dollars to have a lot of fanfare when Obama is inaugurated. And people are paying thousands and thousands of dollars to sit at the, you know, a curb where the, the parade's going to pass, you know. And, and there's a lot of, all the important people are going to be there, all the dignitaries are going to be there, and all the generals are going to be there. I mean, all the mucky mucks in the world are going to be watching this thing. There's a lot of fanfare. That's what you expect. Whenever kings have been inaugurated and whenever they come into town, the military is out there, the parades are out there, you know, the crowds are out there. It's it's a big event and everybody knows about it. With God, not so much. There's a couple of these shepherds out there that know about it. And there's uh, these weird astrologers from the east who find out about it. But otherwise, the world's oblivious to it. He he goes to this little child, a 13-year-old. And he's going to come into the world through this inconspicuous, unknown, insignificant nobody named Mary. You couldn't get a more humble uh, way of entering into this world. I mean, think about it like this. Here's how I, how I imagine it. Have, have, have you seen those uh, Google satellite photos? It's just bizarre. Someone showed me this last year where you can look at the whole globe and then you can zero in anywhere you want. And you can really zero in. I, you know, I, I was able to find my own house on this thing. It's really scary that that, that information's out there. It's just crazy. Um, okay, so they, they, you can zoom in. Now, now picture God's perspective on this. Here's God. This is God's Google. He looks at the whole universe, okay, and it's 14 billion light years across. So he zooms in, and he zooms in past the other billions of galaxies and zooms in on our little galaxy. And uh, then he zooms past uh, the, the, bil- the billion other stars that are there and comes to our star, our solar system. And he zooms in past the other seven planets and he comes to Earth. So he's now he's looking at Earth. But when he's looking for a portal to come into this world, he zooms in past all the great continents, all the great civilizations, goes right past America and China and Russia, goes right past uh, Egypt and Persia and Greece, uh, goes past all of the major civilizations and focuses on this little plot of land called Palestine. 
He zooms in past all the major cities in Palestine, Tiberias, Caesarea, Jerusalem, Samaria, Capernaum, Sidon, and comes to this little no-name village called Nazareth. So small, it didn't even show up on most registers in the ancient world. They estimate that there's a couple dozen people probably who live there. He zeroes in on Nazareth. He zooms past all the wealthy people, all the powerful household of, of, of Caesar Augustus, Tiberius, Herod, Pilate. Goes past all the religious dignitaries like Caiaphas, the high priest. And he comes to this little 13-year-old Jewish virgin. And he says, you. Yeah, you are the one. I choose you. There's nothing extraordinary about her. Even her name, Miriam, Mary, is the single most common name for Jewish girls in the first century. She's as ordinary and as plain as you get. Now, it's true she was betrothed to Joseph, who was of the line of David, and that needed to be the case. The Messiah had to come out of the line of David. But there were thousands of other people who would have fit that qualification as well, and even that wasn't about her. It was about who she was betrothed to. Nothing special. God says, I choose you. Will you be the portal through which I come into this world? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to become a, a human here. Uh, would you do me the honor of offering up your womb for me to do that in? What God is really saying is, will you be my mother? <laughs> I'm looking for a mother, and I choose you. It, it, it couldn't possibly be more humble, more inconspicuous, more lowly. You couldn't come into the... I think, see, earthly kings need the ooh and ah factor to sort of increase their stature. But God is so above the earthly kings, he doesn't need any... You can't increase his stature. So he says, ah, forget the whole thing. Let, let's go the opposite direction. And so as big as earthly kings make their entrance, when he comes into the world, he goes as small and as inconspicuous as possible. And see, folks, this tells us so much about God. So much about God. He's a God who, who always goes towards the humble, uses the humble, prefers the humble and the lowly and the weak rather than the proud and the strong and the exalted. He's a God who delights in the ordinary, the plain, even the subordinary. The Bible says he's a God who uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of this world to confound the strong. I think he does that that's on purpose. See, if he uses the people who are the most competent, well, then there'll be some temptation to give the credit for what gets done to the competent people. But when God uses ordinary losers like you and me and Mary, well, then it's very clear that it's God who's doing it. It's a really smart design when you think about it. He uses the foolish things to count on the wise, so the wise people are scratching their head, saying, how could that possibly happen? It's good news, I think, to all of us that God chooses a person like Mary. Because if God can use an ordinary person like Mary, God can use ordinary people like you and me. We are just a bunch of Marys. That's how God accomplishes his will on earth. We always think it's the competent people, the super people, the super smart people, the eloquent talkers, the deep thinkers, the organizers, the CEOs, the people who speak to thousands and thousands of people or whatever. They're the important people in the kingdom of God. But I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of God goes forward, not so much by that, though God will use everything, but he prefers to use the small, the inconspicuous, the unknown, the lowly, the humble, the Marys of this world, doing their little peace to further the kingdom of God. He establishes his kingdom in history through a little servant like Mary, and he continues to grow his kingdom in this world through Marys like you and me. Mary had a unique role to play in she being the only one through whom Christ physically came into this world. But you see, on another level, she's an example for all of us because God wants to birth Christ in us all in a unique way to birth something of the kingdom 
in a unique way. And he chooses each one of us ordinary people to do just that, if we will but be obedient. You may be thinking to yourself, I'm just too ordinary. I'm just too plain. I don't have anything exceptional about me. Fine, I guarantee you that you're not more ordinary than Mary was. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I'm just not educated. You know, I dropped out of uh, you know, school in eighth grade, and, and, and even that was in a special education program, and I just don't have much going for me at all. But I guarantee you, if you got through eighth grade or even fifth grade, you got through five or eight more grades than Mary got through. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm just you know, too poor. I, I'm poor, and I'm, I'm lower class, and, and I just struggle to make ends meet, and there's nothing I can really do for God. But I'm telling you, however poor you are, uh, it's very unlikely that you're more poor than Mary was. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, I just got so many obstacles. I'm just one of these get by people because I've screwed up my life so bad in the past. I've made some terrible decisions. I'm swimming upstream my whole life right now. I got struggles going on, struggles in the past, struggles in the present, too many obstacles that keep me, that disqualify me from being, having an important role in the kingdom. But I guarantee you, however bad your obstacles are, they ain't worse than Mary's obstacles. You can't get a bigger obstacle than becoming pregnant out of wedlock as a teenage girl in Jewish culture in the first century. You're not living that one down. You're going to wear a scarlet A the rest of your life. Uh, This is a major obstacle. But not only was that no problem to God, God created the obstacle. (laughs) I love that about God. He loves obstacles. You got obstacles? Bring them on. It gives God a chance to say, man, watch what I can do with that obstacle. Yeah, you screwed up a lot. You messed up a lot. You got a lot of troubles. You got a lot of problems. You got a lot of phobias. Maybe you're a little touched in the head. Maybe you got this, that, or the other thing. God says, fine, qualification for ministry. That will become part of the unique way that I will birth the kingdom in you and through you just like I did, Mary. That's what God's up to. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of people that he uses. We're all called to be Mary. It's one of my greatest joys in life. Is when the coin drops in the slot and people get that. We're still sort of addicted to this typical religious mindset that the religious specialists, the professionals, the pastors are the ones who do the ministry and we just sort of support them. That is so unbiblical, it's not funny. The ministers of the kingdom and the ministers of Woodland Hills Church are you guys. And, and, and it's, the, it's, it's the ordinary folks that just surrender their life to God that God uses to birth his kingdom in the world and thereby expand his kingdom. And when people get it, it's beautiful. Spoke to a, a, a wonderful lady a couple weeks ago who just has been feeling called. She's half Native American and she's feeling called to have this ministry towards Native Americans. And she doesn't have a clue what it's going to look like just yet. She's just kind of inching forward. But, but it's beautiful to see this thing being birthed and see she's becoming a Mary to these non Christian Native Americans. It's beautiful. We've got a bunch of people in the, in, in the church who are called the loafers. I just found out about them a couple weeks ago. And what they do is once a week they go to these restaurants and they get loaves of bread that the restaurants were going to throw away and they take them to ministries that feed, feed the hungry. Beautiful. They're being Marys to the hungry of the world. Uh, there's a lady in our church who once a month goes out and buys a bunch of groceries and, and uh, then partners with small groups and going to homeless shelters, at sh- shelters and, and shows them how to cook this stuff and serve these homeless people. She's being a Mary to the small groups and to the people at the homeless shelter. This, that, that's what ministry is all about. She's birthing a part of the kingdom to the people in, that, in, in those homeless shelters. There's a number of people in the church who have just felt led to uh, uh, have an adoption ministry where they adopt children, especially hard-to-place children, African-American children, older children, children with disabilities. They're being Marys to those uh, orphaned children. 
That's how the kingdom of God goes forward. And we're all called to be a Mary in some way. And it's so important that we own that, that we believe that, that we don't disqualify ourselves because of our lack of education or because of our poverty or because of these struggles that we go through or because we're just so ordinary. No, no, that's what qualifies you. That's what makes you important for the kingdom. And you got to know that when God puts something on your heart, a ministry, a, a way of serving others and, and loving others, don't measure that according to the world's standards of how much ooh and ah factor is involved in your ministry. Uh, you know, don't compare it to the folks who can fill stadiums full of people and think that what you're called to do is less important than what they're called to do. God doesn't operate that well way. He treats you like an individual because uh, you are an individual. And if he, call, if he puts a ministry on your heart, that is the most important ministry in the world. And you're saying yes to him is the most important yes in the world. We're all called to be Mary. Mary had her unique role to play, and thank God she played it. But we all are called to have a unique role. It may be feeding, bringing bread to people who are hungry. It may be adopting a child. It may be ministering to your neighbor uh, over years as they work through struggles. It may be preaching to a bunch of people. That's one of the calls. But that's no better or worse than any other call. It probably will be a ministry that most people don't know about. But that's why God loves it. It's the inconspicuous, the unknown, the seeming insignificant. And that's how the kingdom of God goes forward. God chose Mary. It says a lot about God. It says a lot about us. But the second point is just as important because the first point is irrelevant without the second. And that is that Mary said yes. Mary said yes. The angel appears to her. God never bulldozes over one. He asks for an invitation. And Mary says Let it be unto me, as you say, for I am your slave. That is a kingdom mindset. By the way, to be a slave of God is to be the freest person on the planet. That's freedom. And Mary says, I will be your slave. Let it be unto me, as you wish. She said yes, despite everything that was up against her. Get inside the mind of this this young girl. She's 13 years old. Like like every other Jewish 13-year-old in the first century, Uh, Her script is pretty much written for her, and this would be her highest aspiration. She wants to marry a decent man. Uh, In those days, most of the marriages were arranged. Uh, She didn't choose Joseph. Joseph was chosen for her. Uh, And she's hoping that he'll be a decent man, and all indications are that that he was. Um, And then she wants to have a family, living in Nazareth the way her ancestors did for however long. That's just what you do as a young girl in, in, in the first century. You dream those dreams. That's what she wants with her life. Saying yes... To God through Gabriel here is going to seriously mess up that script. And she would know that. Saying yes to this proposal is going to throw everything on its head. I mean, think of what she'd be thinking here. Uh, you know, will Joseph believe me? Probably not. Who is going to believe a story about you becoming pregnant? By God. Right. And as a matter of fact, Joseph didn't believe her. He was going to divorce her quietly and as discreetly as possible, but, but he was going to divorce her until Gabriel shows up to him and says, no, you know what, she's telling the truth. Uh, but you, that's, that's understandable. What are her parents going to think about this? What are the townspeople going to think? Uh, how is she going to deal with this stigma the rest of her life, wearing a scarlet letter the rest of her life? And ordinarily in Jewish culture, once you get that reputation, if you had a baby out of wedlock, no guy is going to marry you. You're used goods in first century Judaism. And so she's facing a life of singlehood. How is she going to raise this child on her own? How is she going to make ends meet? 
There wasn't a lot of employment opportunities for young ladies uh, in poverty situations. Um, usually they went into prostitution unless they could somehow become servants of someone else's household. How is this going to work? She doesn't know. And even if Joseph doesn't leave her, how are they going to support this child? He hasn't had time to go away and, and, and do the, make the ordinary preparations that you're supposed to make. And on top of all of that, how does anyone raise the son of God? She's 13 years old. Raising a child in any circumstance is going to be tough. This is the son of God. Whatever else that would mean to her at this time, this is supposed to be a king, supposed to reign forever. She doesn't know anything about royalty. How do you raise royalty? I mean, there's, there's all these questions that she would have, all these obstacles that she's going to be, be facing. She's got a hundred or more reasons to say, no thanks. Hey, I'm not really honored. That's nice. But move along. I got my script. This is going to mess up with my life plans. She's got a hundred reasons to say no. She's got one reason to say yes. And that's that, this is what God is asking of her. And so she says, I surrender all my rights, all my script, all my plans, all my agendas, all my dreams. I am your slave. Let it be unto me as you wish. Knowing it's going to be messy, facing massive uncertainty, she says, let it be. I am your slave. And it was messy. When the angel said, you are highly favored, in fact, whenever the Bible says you are highly favored and blessed, it does not mean you're going to have a nice, sweet life right here and now. Read Hebrews 11. Most of the heroes of the Bible did not have their best life in the present time. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to you know, just have things going rosy for you. Uh, Mary's life got significantly screwed up. I mean, how favored would she have felt uh, a few months later when she has to give birth to this child in a foreign town, and if that wasn't bad enough, she has to do it in a stable, an, an overcrowded, animal-filled, manure-filled stable. Yeah, she doesn't have any of the, the normal supports that you would have in the first century. Usually you give birth and the whole town's involved and all the midwives are there and they've seen a hundred of these, so you, you're confident they know what they're doing. She's giving birth alone. Uh, she doesn't know a thing about this. Joseph for sure wouldn't know a thing about this. And here they are in a barn in some corner on the floor, surrounded by manure, and she's giving... This isn't a pretty picture. Highly favored? Ha! Doesn't look like that. Then they're staying in Bethlehem for a couple of years, and Herod hears about it, and so Herod tries to kill his... wants to kill this baby. So now they got to flee to Egypt, where I don't think they knew anybody, and they got to start over. This doesn't look like highly favored. And it seemed even less highly favored later on when Mary... Jesus starts his ministry and he starts saying crazy, crazy things, which in the first century will get you killed. Like, I want everyone to honor me even as they honor the Father. John 5. That's the kind of thing that gets you killed in the first century. Mary hears about this and the promise of the angel is now 30 years past. She's a mother in love with her son and she gets concerned. And so the Bible, which is always very realistic, tells us that Mary and Jesus' brothers went out to get him because they thought he'd gone loony. They wanted to save him from themselves. She's starting to feel the pain of Jesus' ministry, but that was nothing compared to what she would experience a couple years later when this mother has to watch her son be publicly humiliated, flogged, tortured, crucified, and ultimately executed. And I wonder as she was gazing on her son on the cross if the echo of those words weren't bouncing around in her head. Highly favored. You are highly favored. And I've been thinking at that moment she'd be feeling not so much. Not so much. If this is highly favored, I'd rather take the curse. (laughs) But see, three days later with the resurrection, and then certainly 40 days after that when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was birthed, maybe then Mary began to see, whoa, whoa, okay. 
Okay, the plan, okay, the plan's starting to unfold. She would see that something very significant and world-transforming is taking place here. As the kingdom, the mustard seed begins to grow a little bit, now I bet she began to feel a little bit favored. That she was the portal through which this kingdom came into this world. When you say yes to God, it doesn't mean your life won't be messy. In fact, I can almost promise you it will to some degree. Maybe a little, but maybe a lot. It will mess you up. When you say yes to God, you're saying, like Mary was, yes, go ahead and mess my life up. But I can promise you it will be worth it. It is always worth it. When you begin to see the fruit of what God does in your life, you can choose to live a life that is as free from inconvenience, as free from suffering as possible. You can choose to live a life that's just nice and scripted and follows your plan and doing your own thing. You can choose to do that if you want, but I'm going to tell you, to that degree, your life is devoid of meaning and significance. But if you instead say, God, whatever you want, you get. Yeah, it will mess your life up, maybe a little, maybe a lot. But you're going to find, maybe sooner, maybe later, as you look at it, the joy of having significance and meaning and purpose, being used by God to bring bread to somebody, being used by God to touch somebody, to say a word to somebody, being used by God to minister to Native Americans, being used by God to minister to people in Haiti. Nothing gives your life more meaning and more joy than following the model of Mary. And saying, yes, be it unto me as you wish. So the question I leave us with this Christmas service is, is this, this. In what way are you? And in, in what way am I being a Mary? What is it that God wants to birth in you? What is it that God wants to birth in me? It's not a matter of does he want to, because you can take it on God's word that he does. To belong to the kingdom is to be having Christ formed in you uh, in a unique way and birthing the kingdom in a unique way. Just like being part of the body means there's some function that you serve. All of us are called to be ministers. To join the kingdom isn't just about you being blessed. It's about you uh, signing up for a vocation. What is the vocation? The merry vocation that God is giving you. Sometimes that's a little hard to figure out. You know, it'd be nice if an angel showed up to all of us and said, here's what I want from you. That usually doesn't happen. But God wants us to seek him. But I can promise you that if if your heart is to really just do the Lord's will and you invite other people in on this and talk about it, it'll become clear to you what you're supposed to do. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you you make serving God your highest agenda and pleasure in life and get all your life from him, all other things being equal, what you want to do, what God puts on your heart is what you're supposed to do. A lot of times people think doing the will of God means that you got to do something you don't like. No, it may be something very, very difficult, which part of you doesn't like, but it will be something that, that you want to do. It's a passion that God begins to birth in you. And so I encourage you to seek out God's heart. Maybe a lot of you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, and God's called you to that, and, and you're walking in that. I encourage you to keep open because things change. There's seasons for things. And, or maybe God wants to grow that ministry. The, the, the attitude of let it be to me as you will, because I am your slave, is one we have to cultivate every day. And God grows his kingdom and births his kingdom day by day as we attain a merry stance in our life. What's God calling you to? How are you to be a merry? And will you say yes? Go ahead and mess with my life, God. Go ahead and mess with my life. All my dreams, all my aspirations, all my plans, my life script, being Lord of my own life, I put that aside Let it be unto me according to your will. I want to invite the prayer team up. Before I close in prayer, just know that if you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to 
Come up here and pray with these folks. Encourage you to go to a restaurant and meet some people after the service. And if you're struggling this holiday season, or even if you're not, I invite you to the service here tonight at 7 o'clock. I close with this prayer. Lord, thank you for being a God. You're the creator of the universe. You're, you're, you're holy and beautiful beyond description, and yet you choose to use, you love to use, you delight in using the humble, the lowly, the weak, the feeble, the ordinary, even the subordinary. God, help us to embrace that marvelous truth and not disqualify or compromise your word to us because of all the junk in our heads. Help us to believe your word. You want to use us. And God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see, to have a Gabriel experience where we could really hear your word and see what you're calling us to. And then, Lord, I pray you'd cultivate in our hearts a merry heart. A merry heart. Mary, M-A-R-Y, and also Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. Creating ourselves a merry heart that is merry to do your will, that, that, that uh, is just submitted to you, that puts our own plans aside. Thank you, God, for giving our life eternal significance by calling us into your service. As we go out of this place, Lord God, help us to walk in obedience 24-7 under the light of the fact that you love us as expressed by Jesus Christ becoming a human being for our sake. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and spread the kingdom.